All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 87 points, or two-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 26 points, or six-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 234 points, or 1.5%. Now, we just finished the uh, month of August, so let's go into the numbers real quick for the month of August. The Dow was up about one and a quarter percent. The S&P 500 for the month of August was up 2.9 percent, and the NASDAQ for the month of August was up 4 percent. Finally, the year-to-date numbers, the Dow is up 15.6 percent. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 20.7 percent. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 19.2%. NASDAQ is closing fast on the S&P. I believe on Friday the NASDAQ closed at another uh, all-time high. I believe, I think the S&P might have been close to one. <clears throat> but we had several of all-time highs for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ in the week just passed. Um, and, and, and I was actually going to say that if this was the – if Friday was the last day of the year, the NASDAQ would have set the second time in history of having the most record closes in a given year, which was 53. The record was 71 record closes quite a few decades ago. I'm guessing 1999 or 2000? In the 90s. In the, okay. In the 90s. <clears throat> probably but, it's probably 1999. Uh, I don't believe I, I don't have a st- I, the only statistic I remember is that it was seventy one was the all time record, but we're right. So in are, is that a, is that a is that a bearish comment based on that statistic? Huh? I would not. Been, it's been two weeks since you and I had yes, at Davidson our, our argument fight night as Joe uh, so eloquently uh, labeled has coined our, it. Yeah, our, has coined it yeah, mind. I am the referee. So That's right. <laughs> it was relatively calm last week. Well, it's kind of good that we're not in the same offices because then Joe would have to be hosing us off in the interim. So, you know, we'd have to be taking a halftime break. But, no, I would not say that that having this many record closes is necessarily a sign of a bear market. 
you know, there, there, yes, there are times where there can be more sellers than buyers, but when we see these corrective moves and we haven't had any substantive correction really all this year, um, you know, we've seen a few three, three and a half percent pullbacks throughout this year. Uh, I think the last real big correction was what, September, August, September of last year. But, you know, looking at the month of August, typically not the best month for the markets as as a whole. I think it was Once second, again, second worst uh, typically in history, but you're ready to say the last going two against years the in a row. Last, last two, two years in a row. Last two years in a row, August has been very good, especially in the, in the months just passed for, for the NASDAQ. Uh, the, the We're seeing this rotation. Yes, this I was, rotation. exactly what I was going to say. We're continuing to see this constant rotation among industry groups that is there really any rhyme or reason to it i can't put my finger on it uh, which makes it very difficult from a management point of view to because you're not going to be reallocating asset classes on a weekly on a week to base week to week (laughs) basis on a month to month basis uh but but that's what's you know this that's what's happening this churn in the market. You know, the thing that's, you know, interest rates have started to creep up again. I think we got down into like the 1.1 1. 1 range, 1.1% range on a 10 year treasury yield. And now we're back over uh 1.3% yield on a 10 year treasury. Uh, the economic news and the week just passed. I think the big news uh, it was, was Friday's unemployment numbers, which were, uh, much employment worse. numbers, yeah, Un- much worse, worse than expected. Five hundred thousand. No, it was. It was, was he was. He said five hundred thousand lower than, 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 oh, than yes. expected. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. that is. You correct. are correct. It, it was. Uh, we were expecting like three quarters of a million. Three quarters of a million, and we only got two hundred and thirty-five thousand. Thirty-five thousand. Yeah. The expectation was seven hundred and twenty thousand. Unemployment rate ticked down to 5.2%. I believe it was 5.3% previously. Uh, I mean, yes, unemployment rates come down, but the participation rate is still around 61%. We've seen wage inflation for the year at about 4.3%. And so this is where we get into the conversation. I had a conversation earlier this week doing a review meeting with the client's about the concern about inflation. And we've talked about the transitory inflation. The Fed talks about transitory inflation. Yes, we're going to see some transitory inflation in in consumer goods, but where I think we're going to see more longer lasting inflation is in wage inflation. Because if companies are having to pay more money to get people off the couches and into the workforce, those higher incomes, they're going to have to pass those higher costs on to their customers. And no matter what kind of business you're in, and really the net effect for the employee is really zero. Because if you're now having to spend more money to buy the same amount of goods and you're making more money, your net effect to your bank account is zero. And and I know that the Biden administration was, especially particularly President Biden on Friday, was breaking his own arm, patting himself on the back for the Biden economic plan and how well it works. I I, I know He's in a cognitive decline, but he's absolutely out of his mind. What what economic plan are you doing? You mean shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, making us non-energy independent? Is that the economic plan you're talking about? How about we put things in context, Biden administration? 
I know they can't possibly do that, putting anything into context. You know, the, the economy is in, in the employment picture is improving in spite of, not because of. Let's get everything straight. It's the same thing with President Obama when he took the presidency as we were coming out of the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. And guess what? We had the lowest GDP growth post-World War II in the eight years President Obama was in the White House. Okay? So I think, unfortunately, that might be something that we could be seeing after we get from get outside on the other side of this uh, COVID pandemic. But we, we got to take our first commercial break, and I got to cool off. Listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, towards the end of the last segment, was getting a little bit into Joe Biden, President Biden's, um, I guess, victory lap he was trying to take with the employment numbers that came out on Friday. Although the employment numbers were disappointing, more than 500,000 jobs were not created um, in the month of August that were that were anticipated, but the unemployment rate ticked down to 5.2%. But we were talking that the participation rate for employment's around 61%. We see wage inflation so far this year of 4.3%, which we talked about that this could be some of the longer lasting inflationary effects that we're going to see for years to come in order to get employees to come back to the workforce. I know that the extra unemployment benefit of $300 a week for the rest of the country, I know Texas ended it sometime back, but the rest of the country, it just ended this past week. And so now we're going to be seeing what kind of employment, true employment is going to be coming back into the workforce as we get into the months of September and October. But I will say this, and the, the two seconds we'll talk about the Fed is that the, the employment number on Friday, I think, gave a little bit more runway for Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve to maybe push another month or two before they start deciding when they're going to be tapering their bond purchase or their, their bond, slow down their bond buying uh, through the quantitative easing. So it might have given them at least a month, maybe another month delay, because they're going to want to see the true employment numbers. And we talked several weeks ago of a report that I read here in the state of Texas when they when the tex, when Texas ended its uh, unemployment benefits some months back they're still not seeing people coming back into the workforce at a very fast clip because there's so much debt that's been paid down there's so much cash that they have saved up and I read an interesting article on Friday that said, you know, this unemployment benefit of $300 a week was to help people pay for rent, pay for their mortgages. But what else did the federal government give everybody? They gave us a eviction moratorium, which, of course, Joe Biden and the Biden administration are breaking federal law and going against the Supreme Court by extending it. And then also the mortgage moratorium. 
So this extra money that everyone, the unemployed were getting every single week was supposed to be used for housing, but they got a break on housing, which means that they were able to save so much more money. And this is delaying people coming back into the workforce. So essentially they're double dipping some of the stimulus. They are. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a full double dip. And I think this is going to delay the employment picture from getting a fuller head of steam behind it just as this extra unemployment benefits for most of the rest of the country is ending, just ended this past week. Yeah, Did you Jeff. mention the child credit? Oh, that's right. See, that's something else, the, the child tax credit. So there's a, a money that's been coming in, and it's going to be coming in for several months. I, I'm not sure if it's going to be running six months, eight months, but there's even additional money for the child tax credit for certain income levels that's just being wired directly into their bank account. So you've got all this free money. And I say free with big air quotes because it's coming from the taxpayers. And we know from some reports that came out two weeks ago that only 39% of taxpayers are actually paying federal income tax. So if you take 100 people, only 39% or only 39 of them are paying taxes. And then out of that, the top 1% income earners are covering 40% of the taxes collected by our government. And then President Biden on Friday has the audacity to talk about paying fair share, everyone paying their fair share. Well, he feels that the only people that need to pay their fair share make more than $400,000 a year. Now, don't get me wrong. Someone who's making over $400,000 a year is a very blessed individual, and and God bless him for, for being successful. But I feel personally that we need to have more people with skin in the game, particularly if the Democrats want to spend money in the manner that they're wanting to spend. They can't squeeze all of the money from the top one or two percent of income earners in this country. More people need to put more skin in the game and only 39 out of 100 people are paying taxes. That's not going to get it done. Then when I read reports that the Social Security Administration came out and said that the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be out of money by 2034, a year sooner than they anticipated, this is a problem. Oops. Yeah, exactly. Oops. This, well, this is a this problem. Been, but this has been a problem. It has. Since for a long time. 1970s. I remember That's true. A, a wise man named H. Ross Pro said the crazy ant in the basement. That we haven't taken care oh, of. Oh yes, and that was in the 1990s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think uh, he ran what in '92, I, I believe. believe he ran. Well, you 92. also look at this too, because the cost of living adjustment, I believe, in Social Security checks are going up six percent. That's right. And there's another situation they're going to have to deal with. So, that's right. Well, all that Social Security, what that means for everyone that's working, is there's going to be more money coming out of paychecks at some point in the future which is going to have to be matched by employers, which is money coming out of the employer's pocket, which is reducing their profits. And they're also probably going to have to combine that with uh, either continuing to raise the minimum aid, the, 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 the full retirement age, mm-hmm. uh, and reduce benefits for those that are about to retire. I don't think the benefits being paid to folks that are already receiving them I don't think those will ever be – they're not going to reduce those benefits. They're going to be reducing those benefits for those that are going to be receiving the benefits of the future. I mean, those are all just – I mean, you can just – but that's that's kind of the third rail of politics. No one's really 
there's no one right now that's going to touch changes to Social Security. They're just not going no. to. And they're well, not going and, to do that six months you know, where we well, uh, and, and, a year and, and, a year to, 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 from the midterms. No one's going to be talking about that. And all this stuff we heard Friday afternoon about these. I, and I haven't had a chance to look at all these tax proposals that are that have come out. Uh, I want to say there's like 40 different proposals to 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 raise taxes on all these different things so that they so that the the democrats can justify their 3.2 trillion dollar budget 3.5 trillion 3.5 thank you kyle um and and as you as you're getting ready to say the the one of the most important legislators that has to agree to this has already said it's dead on arrival joe manchin democrat from west virginia you know, it's, it's so one thing i'd like to say because i I know we're going to get into emotionalism and all that in, in today's program because we never about it. We we talked about that last never. week, but for any of us that was any anyone that's been that's listening to the show uh, today and has been emotional about decision making when it comes to their portfolios and was all worried about all these tax changes that the Democrats were throwing out there as part of their election year rhetoric in in twenty twenty, none of that's come to pass. And it's doubtful that 90% of those proposals will see the light of day uh, right now that they're proposing to try to raise enough taxes to pay for this $3.5 trillion budget. So for any investors out there that sold their portfolios, that got out of the market because they were worried about you know, what was going to happen with taxes – we're up twenty one percent. We're up twenty one percent. I wanted to year to date. I wanted to say something in, in the last segment. We're talking about how difficult it is to manage a portfolio under certain circumstances during a pandemic. There's no quote unquote pandemic playbook. But Jeff, you're just talking about something pre election when politicians make all these promises. It's always the Democrats are always going to raise taxes. Okay, that's one of the things that they always going to throw out there and spend. Make but, sure, make sure. Actually, let, let, I'm going to throw Go a time out on you for just a moment, Joe. It's not that they're 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 throwing out. We're always going to raise. Ta- we're always talking about raising taxes. They're wanting to talk talk about raising taxes on the quote unquote rich. rich. That's really that's it. It's that. It's it. it's more regulations than we had before. There's a there's a myriad of different things because we got to go after the terrible corporations. Because what so, do they do? What do terrible saying, corporations do? Never, they do terrible things. Joe. they don't hire people. They don't build plants. They don't produce products. They're just they terrible don't people. Yeah, they, don't they don't provide benefits. they don't provide benefits. They're just terrible retirement people. Retirement accounts. Right. Exactly. Bunch of but, academics. But, but, I get but, it. But but here's the whole thing, and I don't care. And that was sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. They teach, they don't do. But but here's the thing. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat in the White House. This isn't about politics. What I heard President Biden say on Friday, every single word out of his mouth was untrue. It was all, let's put it all into context. It was your timing, Joe. It wasn't your policies. Let's get the facts straight. Just like President Obama. You know, just like President Obama, your timing was perfect to break your own arm, patting yourself on the back. But your GDP growth and how paltry it was at the end of your eight years really showed the true story of your lack of understanding and the lack of policies that did anything for this country. And the Democrats and Joe Biden, unfortunately, are going right down that same path. But at the end of the day, whether it's all red in the White House and Congress or all blue in White House and Congress, 
the market has shown positive returns. So don't let that derail your long-term investing plan. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning into this uh, weekend's Money Wise program, I had to uh, take a breath. Joe had to hose me off here in the San Antonio office. Yeah, and all we have is bottled water, so it took longer <laughs> than you think. Took, took a little bit longer to hose me off. No, I, I just I was so fired up on Friday listening to the pontification of President Biden and how his Biden economic plan is working. Really, what, could you define what your economic plan is, Joe? Because I, I really don't know what it is. If it's killing jobs in the oil industry, yeah, great economic plan. Us becoming less energy independent, yeah, great economic plan. Proposing to raise taxes on the quote-unquote wealthy over $400,000 a year when only 39 out of 100 people actually pay taxes in this co- federal income taxes in this country in, 20, in 2020. What are you talking about? Economic plan. You're wanting to spend over $5 trillion when everything is said and done for your Green New Deal, which is going to do nothing but put more regulations onto our economy, onto our corporations. For what? For what? And then raise taxes across the board. Great plan. Great economic plan. I'm going to get some more water out in just a second. (laughs) But one of the other things that Jeff and I were talking about last week also, and I'm just – I'm not piling on, but I am piling on a little bit. Think about what's going on in Afghanistan in the last two or three weeks and where our trading partners and people overseas and companies overseas and governments uh, and different governments globally, how do they view us in light of what's happened? You know, it, a corporation is one thing. Corp, uh, all companies run differently. I get that. But I'm saying what, what kind of instability or how are we going to be viewed uh, from a global perspective with what's going on in the last couple of weeks? So weak, weak. And that, that's well, my point. And that could it's, hurt us. It's weakness it shows weakness, but it, I think I'm, I'm more concerned about uh, how emboldened our enemies might be to that weakness. And I was, yeah, I was talking to dad um, earlier this week and, you know, he was as fired up as Kyle is on this week's show about uh, politics and policy and what happened, what went on in Afghanistan and you know, Dad said, you know, I'm I'm a little concerned that the next uh, geopolitical event that, in order to offset the what appears to be a feeble response from uh, the Biden administration to what went, what went on in, in Afghanistan, that he might overreact on the next geopolitical event, and that would be. Detri- you know, to try to offset what happened, to, to look to look strong, strong. Uh, it's a good so point. You know, it's all 
yeah, this is all just conjecture. And, you know, is any of this investable in a portfolio? And the answer is no, not necessarily. But I can I can tell you that from, you know, an asset allocation uh, strategy, our asset allocation strategy this year is virtually been unchanged, but we're still below what what we consider to be maximum asset allocations to stocks. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say that we have uh, nervous trigger fingers ready to pull pull the plug on uh, selling a bunch of of stocks and reducing asset allocation in our portfolio. But that's not to mean that if something went down that uh, uh, we thought would ha- there was an, inv- an event that required a, a response from a portfolio point of view, we certainly wouldn't hesitate to do it. Uh, but for the reasons that you know, I just discussed with you know, having concerns about this administration's ability to you know, put out a, a coherent economic policy or have any foreign policy at all, uh, they have neither. It's not. It's they have neither. So it's not really an environment that I want to be fully, you know, hundred, you know, maximum asset allocations of stocks. And I and I would recommend the same. You know, to our to our listeners and be ready to to act if something you know goes awry active management i mean active. this is this is the reason why we do what we do at davidson capital management it's having a team of portfolio managers on the fence at all times to make a decision when a decision needs to be made and if it's if you have a set it and forget it type portfolio that is not a wise decision to make at all you have to have a team that's willing to make the decisions when the decisions need to be made based in real-time market conditions. Because like you said, Jeff, no one can prepare for a geopolitical risk. Is a geopolitical risk elevated? Absolutely, without question. Are we bullish? Yes. Are we cautiously bullish? Yes. This is why we're not at our maximum allocation in a moderate portfolio to our 70% tactical maximum. This is why we're hovering around the 61, 62% asset allocation into stocks because we still want to participate, but we also want to keep some powder dry because you never know when those, those geopolitical events could occur. And that, again, that risk has definitely been elevated with what's happening in Afghanistan yep. and also just the absolute weakness that is coming out of Washington. And I know dad's favorite word during the Obama administration was feckless. I, I, we can't even use the word feckless because that's an insult to the word feckless <laughs> dealing with the Biden administration. And, and when, and I'm sorry, I was so fired up on Friday when I heard him talking and patting himself on the back, he, he is at the, the administration and his cabinet is absolutely clueless. They, they don't know preferred stock from livestock. They don't know macro from microeconomic. They don't know anything. I don't know who's guiding the ship over there. And whoever it is, they're more concerned about cow farts and solar panels and global warming and social equity than anything else. They're not concerned about jobs and wages and employment. They're not concerned about that. That's all they care about is tax and spend. So I'm done. You're done. Yeah. I, I'm pulling a one. I'm going to have to go get the fire extinguisher. We do have Sorry. That. Sorry. But no, okay. I did want to shift gears a bit about you know making sure there's someone at the helm of your portfolio making those day-to-day decisions because of a conversation that I had on Friday 
with a longtime listener of the Money Wise program in San Antonio. Very sweet and nice woman who told me a story that my mouth was just wide open when she was telling me the story. And she'd been a longtime listener and she was calling because she wanted to get a portfolio review. And her and her husband's assets, a sizable portfolio, was over at one of the major discount brokers in this country. I won't use their name, but let's just say that they're very much embedded in managing 401k assets. They're one of the biggest 401k providers in the country. Um, And so the story that she was telling me is that they have been over at this discount broker in their private wealth group for about the past 10 or 11 years. And in that time, they have had four different quote unquote advisors, basically marketing marketing representatives. Well, she just discovered this past week that her and her husband's account has been frozen since July because there was an issue with mail delivery. And we run into this at at Charles Schwab, who's our custodian for our client assets, will receive an alert if Schwab cannot deliver a piece of mail The account will be frozen until we clarify the issue. But of course, the second we receive the alert, we're immediately on the phone with our client to correct the problem and get everything unfroze. But what she discovered, because she is now with her fourth marketing advisor, basically, I'm going to call them marketing advisors because they're definitely not portfolio managers at this major discount broker. There was no one at the helm. They did not know that her account was frozen for months later. And I said to her, what would have happened if we'd had a 20% correction or God forbid a terrorist attack and the market sold off 30% and your account's frozen and you were completely unaware of this because no one was at the helm of your super tanker that's just floating in the ocean at this large discount broker. And she said, you know, Kyle, I felt like we're nobody." We're a peon. They don't know who we are. And I said, your assessment is absolutely right. And this is important for all investors to understand because I made the comment to her. I said, well, you know, there's some investors that have this higher sense of security when they go with this well-marketed, well-known household name, this name brand brokerage firm, whether it's Merrill Lynch, Fidelity, Morgan Stanley, Edward Jones, They see the fancy offices, the marble floors, the marble columns, as dad would call it, all the advisors dressed in these expensive suits, and it gives them this sense of comfort, like their money is safe, and that they're doing their fiduciary duty for them as a client. And she came to realize, and she admitted to me on the phone, that her and her husband felt that same way originally 10, 11 years ago when they hired this firm to oversee these assets. But guess what? They don't feel that way anymore. In fact, she said, Kyle, I feel that we're the tiniest cog in the biggest machine, and they don't know us from Adam. And I said, you're right. Unfortunately, you're right. This is why Jeff and I, this is why our father created Davidson Capital Management, was to pull the curtain back on the BS. And that is the major legacy distribution systems, all the household name brand Wall Street firms that have primarily run by marketing representatives and not money managers. Yeah, you don't have any contact with the person managing your money. At all. And I know we've got a a, 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 a break. I know we've got a commercial break, so I want to finish this story. 
about about this 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 show listener, the Money Wise listener in San Antonio. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, from last segment, we're just talking about a prospective client that uh, I had a conversation with this past week who's with her and her husband's assets are with a lar- one of the largest discount brokers in the world. And she her account had been frozen for months because they didn't weren't able to deliver some mail for her account because she had sold a, a property out of state where this mail was going to and she had an issue but the but the biggest the, the crux of the problem is that in the 10 11 years that her assets their her and her husband assets have been there they've had four now number four different marketing reps and she received a phone call this past week from this gentleman who she has no idea who he is he doesn't live here in the San Antonio area um, telling her that her account has been frozen for months and they're just now kind of coming around to it. And she told me that she felt like the tiniest little cog in this giant machine, but that she admitted to me on the phone that when they originally hired them, she, she felt her and her husband felt they had this higher sense of security, turning their money over to a name brand household firm, as opposed to searching and looking for maybe a smaller firm to where they can actually have a relationship with the money managers because who they're working with now, they have no idea who's managing the money. The person that is managing or the team that's managing the money doesn't know who they are. And they're just passed off from one marketing representative to the other. And it's important for all investors to understand that when you work with these large name brand firms, this is how they're designed. This is how they're designed. Whether it's Fisher, whether it's Ed Jones, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, typically, nine times out of ten, the person you are talking to, yes, they might be a broker. Yes, they might be a licensed registered representative or a registered investment advisor, but they're typically not the money manager. They're not making the decisions with your portfolio, with your assets. Your relationship is with a marketing representative, and that's it. And the people that are actually making the day-to-day decisions with your assets, you don't know, and they don't know you. And that person that you're working with is tacking on an extra layer of fees for that relationship. And this is exactly what happened to this prospect being passed over to another representative of this firm who they have never met, don't know this person, saying, oh, by the way, your account's been frozen for the past two months. Thank the Lord that the markets have been moving in the right direction. But I want every listener to think about it. What if the market had been down 20%, 30%, 35%? What do you think would have happened to their assets? This couple is 75 and 85 years old. It could have been devastating 
for their retirement. Yeah, Joe. Well, I was going to say I have worked on the legacy side before a long, long, long time ago before I got on my 12-step program. But what I was going to say <laughs> is I've never heard of that happening. And I, Kyle and I and Jeff have multiple friends across the spectrum of different firms. I've never heard of that actually happening, where they froze an account. You know, I know it can, but usually there's a trigger with that well, advisor. Here's, would here's call, something anecdotally, since we're, we're not using the name of the firm mm-hmm. in this discussion, but this firm announced this week that they were trying to find 5,000 more quote unquote advisors to take care of their growth to run their so, computer generated portfolios. So, so, R2D2. Yeah, that's right. To run their computer generated yeah. portfolios that are invested in, in, in a lot of proprietary funds uh, with their particular organization, they need bodies in there. I'm well, sure they all have pandemic playbooks too. I, it's interesting, yeah, Joe, that I'm you sure, said that. I'm sure, no, no, wait. I'm sure every person that answers the phone has managed money through six presidents I don't know how many wars, terrorist attack, uh, the worst uh, financial, financial crisis price. since the since the Great Depression, and now the the first pandemic in the last hundred years. I'm sure every person that answers that phone at any of those organizations has managed money through all those events. Heck, no, they have not. Because they're this, all Jeff? they're all marketing people. How and about so, this, Jeff? Hold on oh, a second. I'm I'm not. You've been on your soapbox. Let me get on mine. Now we're gonna have to hose Jeff off. So right. you know because. Just because they're big doesn't mean they're good. That's right. Just because they're big doesn't mean they're less expensive because they're not. Every single one of those firms that Kyle just named off, every single one of them does not have a fee structure that could compete with an independent registered investment advisor. They're all, ladies and gentlemen, they're all at least 10, 30, are 50% more expensive when you really get down to reviewing every single aspect of the relationship, not only the management fees charged, but the investments that are inside the portfolio have expenses that are attached to them. And when you really start looking at all of that, what have we been saying, guys? What's the easiest way to improve the performance of a portfolio, the easiest way is to reduce expenses. Yes, Joe, you want to here, say well, something? No, I was going to answer the question. I felt, okay. Well, 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 here, I had my some, hand up. Y'all, all right. I just can't see that, but I had my hand up to answer Well, here's, that. Something I else about, here's something else about all these firms I named. Name me one firm that has over a 30-year track record that can prove their investment management philosophy. I mean, show Morningstar. Me, show, Morningstar doesn't even put thirty-year performance on the on the yeah, mutual funds. I've, I've tried to research it. I can't find it. it so, sh- so, so, give me one of those firms. Name me a firm that's got a portfolio in-house that has more than a thirty-year track record with with at least one manager that's been on there for thirty years. You show me one that can prove there's their very few, management yeah, philosophy. There's very few, yeah, there's a very few mutual funds that have had one manager for thirty years. I mean, for thirty just, years, there isn't. So, so, here, so here's the bottom line, is you really have to think about yourself as an investor. Do you want a relationship with the actual portfolio management team? And I know that these firms are very good, and they're very good salesmen to make you feel warm and fuzzy, and that the person you're meeting with and talking to is your advisor. Yes, they're your advisor, but they're not your money manager. And there's a big difference. 
at Davidson Capital Management, the three people you're hearing on the radio today are not only your advisor, but we're also your money manager. We're also the decision maker. So when something is sold in your portfolio or bought in your portfolio, you can pick up the phone, ask the question why, and get the answer from the actual decision makers. So you really need to think, is your portfolio worth more to you than marble floors and marble columns? And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. We're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, We'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. But before we go to the top of the hour break, I want to wish everyone a happy and safe Labor Day weekend. And to your financial health, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age sixty seven in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different 
Is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary. Or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I, I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurd large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa son. I, I know that, but, but, but when you see this number... Uh, $800,000, I, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that. I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but I, but I'm thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no, and mom's no, parents. No, I'm, th- no, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes, no, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. When, I think when, this number no, 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 scares me, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year, and we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one, 
so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world. I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So in high school, maybe, in, you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics 101 should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz well, to let's take. Let's flash back. I'm in the beginning. You know, I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them 
wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage you know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire, their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, it, is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been, and I've been uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it. And so it makes our, our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. 
And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. Per, is up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge I also one other thing i didn't say i think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number as age. far as living yes i i, I don't if think you that... look at the actuarial charts though dad right now someone age 65 they have a better than 50 percent chance to live well into their 80s yeah that, uh, with modern advances in medicine so uh, you can disagree with it. But I totally disagree. I think that, I mean, there is very few people are going to live to be 92. Very, very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four, among workers age 55 plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement? And what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make $50,000, But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, so a, 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 a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus past the age of 65, all of a sudden you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money over the That's about $12,500 a year. You're not going to be on any grand a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's why why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet 
and it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hay. And no, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are, and you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these I, are statistics I'm, just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though, and this is thirty six percent of of age fifty five plus. Thirty six percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. Going to the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz, and we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is: What is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re- one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees. They stopped at 61. They Which retired at they 61 retired before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security. And, now, and now workers are currently thinking about 
age 66. I mean, I which think... Would, and, which and would I, be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And, and here's security. something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And, and, and really, IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that, when 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality, only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age, and the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses, so we're just talking about, and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how could no, no 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 yeah yeah one in so four. So how could so. only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be twenty six, <laughs> twenty five. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at I, the Center what, what for I'm Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies. Everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing 
the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're, we're embarked. Get politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act. Act? Health Act. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day. How many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying the baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's and going now to skew Social it, Security it's benefits It's going to and skew entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most now this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate and a fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48% believe that they will only need $50,000 to pay 
health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $220,000. Uh, that number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe 800000 before I'd believe 200000 <laughs> because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, number, that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low, particip- low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution right, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz: A household age sixty five is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and at three percent inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. Ahead. At age 75 with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. 
And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way $5000 grocery bill today would cost over $9000 in 20 years and i used to use also that car example what your 67 fastback cost Versus what the average cost uh, of a thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number twelve: What percentage of households age sixty five through seventy four carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is forty one percent carry housing debt and thirty two percent carry credit card debt. Now this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000 according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, Hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, lung, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that that are, I think, in in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and, and be much more comfortable now that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train 
for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first, and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a... a, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.